Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Episode 39, we're calling this one Back to Black after the scenes at Newcastle over the weekend where Argentina got thoroughly thumped by New Zealand and the All Blacks sort of back to form really and have they've done the best that they can to get their hands on the Tri-Nations Trophy. So we'll talk about that very shortly, but who we are, what we do. So I'm Mitch. I'm also joined by my co-host Ando, but we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, real family friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Oh yeah. So Ando, did you, um, did you have a big week of rugby this week? Get to watch the All Blacks play? Yeah, mate. So luckily I got to watch the whole game live as it was happening and unfolding in front of me. It was actually really good. Um, Very enjoyable to not have a horse in a race and just sit back and enjoy the rugby. And I know we're going to get to it, but it was just a really controlled and controlling performance by New Zealand. And I think what a lot of us were worried about that the changes which the Argentinians made to their team really came back to bite them. I'm not sure if they had any choice about it, but we did not see the Argentina on Saturday night that we saw the previous two weeks. So it was great to watch, really enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to the game this coming weekend. Awesome. So we've got some um, social media outlets. Why don't you run through those, Ando? Awesome. So you can hit us up on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast or on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So get involved, get in touch with us on there. We would love to hear from you. Back to you, Mitch. Awesome. So what we're going to do tonight, first, we'll go through some spicy, spicy news. We'll keep that relatively short talk about some player signings then we'll dive into our review of tri-nations game number five uh new zealand versus argentina and then we'll do a bit of a, a preview for this weekend's game where australia hosts argentina for the final game of the tri-nations and also the final game of rugby for 2020 for southern hemisphere sound good Sounds brilliant, mate. Well, why don't I just jump us straight into the spicy news? So there's there's not a huge amount that we really want to delve into at this point, but there are two quick points of discussion for us. Firstly, um, we had Ed Craig on a pod a few weeks back. So he's the Eastwood uh, Shoot Shield hooker. He has been announced as a signing for the Melbourne Rebels and has been unveiled on their social media and stuff, everything today, which is great fun. So congratulations to Ed Craig. It was pretty cool that... um. I don't know, this is us slash me patting ourselves on the back. But when we were chatting with him about what his aspirations <laughs> wanted to be, what, what his aspirations were in the future, he was talking about obviously he wanted to play super rugby level. And we suggested at the time, having no idea that the Melbourne Rebels would be a good option because they've just lost Anna Rangi and Jordan Uledi is crazy injury prone as well. So there's a bit of an opening coming up there. And only later did he say that, yeah, that, that was something that was at the time but he just wasn't allowed to say anything. <laughs> so that's pretty fun. What do you think about his move to the Rebels, Mitch? Yeah, perfect. Perfect opportunity for him. I think he's probably picked the best sort of developmental side in Super Rugby at the moment. Uh, at the Waratahs, like he's unlucky to have not been selected for the Waratahs previously. We've we've made it known that we're not massive fans on this podcast of um, Robbie Abel. So it's, it's un- unfortunate that he hasn't, played any games in sky blue so far being a new south welshman but uh it is good to see that he's going to get that crack again at super rugby after his short stint with the reds last year or this year earlier this year 
Yeah, so it's really good news for him. Um, he's having to kind of uproot and move down to Melbourne. So best of luck for him in that transition, that journey. We'll be very excited to cheer him on and get out to the games uh, when he gets back up to Sydney for the Super Rugby AU competition next year. It's pretty interesting, though, because when you look at the hooker situation in Australian rugby, there is no real clear standout for Wallaby's selection at hooker. And that genuinely means that any strong performance in Super Rugby AU is putting you in a really, really good position to get a Wallaby's call up, even if it's his first season. So I'm not saying that Ed Craig is going to immediately go into the Wallaby setup uh, because he hasn't proven to be at that level yet. However, it's really interesting to know, or it must be encouraging for him to know that because there is no clear standout, there's no incumbent in the position. He has the chance to be getting into that position, to getting into that spot. Yeah, I um, I think definitely if we look at the performance of Tom Horton this year, and I don't, I'm not saying he had a bad year, but he didn't play a lot for the Waratahs in Super Rugby AU. Um, he was decent in the role, but he got a call up into the Wallabies, so out of a handful of games. So it really does go to show that there is so much room in that position and in that jersey for someone to sort of just take it and own it um and it'd be great to see ed craig move into that sort of spot i i would love to see him move into sort of higher honors in the next season or two so moving now since we actually spoke a tiny bit about the waratahs there and considering we are two died in a wool sky blue waratahs fans um we i just wanted to quickly bring up the fact that the waratahs have confirmed who's going to be departing now this actually came out uh, over a week ago but we didn't get to do any news at the you know last week's pod um so i just wanted to quickly touch on the f- i just want to read out the names of leaving the waratahs and then j- so simmons hannigan robertson staniforth hunt cam clark ryan mccauley michael mcdonald jed holloway pat taffer andrew Tuala, and mitch short that is a big list of experienced players. So Simmons has 157 caps, Hannigan 51, Robertson 62, Staniforth 64, Carmichael Hunt 55, Cam Clark 37, um, uh, Jed Holloway 63. We are losing so many experienced players and we've had Wetton sign on. Wetton is a New Zealand lock who is um, hasn't actually played for New Zealand, but he has by his grandparents. He's got an Australian grandparent, so technically he's Wallabies eligible. Um He's going to be linking up with the Waratahs in January. And we also have Sam Caird, who's a young New Zealand lock that's coming across. So it must be Penny's influence in bringing a couple of those players over. But I'm just really worried about uh, next, about 2021 for the Waratahs. What are your thoughts, Mitch? I've got a few thoughts around this. Uh, the first one is it's, it's poor management on the Waratahs. Um, when the Waratahs first announced this naming, it was interesting that Jed Holloway's parents actually on their personal Facebook page came onto the, the Waratahs and comment Waratahs post and commented and said how disgusting it was, how the Waratahs had treated Jed and that they basically just let him go with no communication leading up to it. It's just sort of, he was basically fired um, with no sort of remorse around it or appreciation of the fact that he'd played for them for so long. It just sort of was like, you're, you're done. We don't have any money to pay you. And I think that's a the similar situation to a lot of those players. Like come shoot shield this year, we were questioning why he wasn't included or why he also wasn't playing in those um, Australian A sort of Argentina tests earlier a few weeks ago either. It looks like he hasn't got anywhere else to be going and playing either. He hasn't signed internationally. He hasn't signed back with the Reds or anyone. 
So he looks like he he was planning to stay in in Sydney and wanted to play for the Waratahs, and he's just been kind of let go. It's worrying, isn't it? Because you made the comment before about, and I, I slightly disagree, saying that Melbourne Rebels is a good training ground for kind of young talent. But regardless, um, the Waratahs have just been so poor over the last five to ten years with player retention, um, long term signings. Like I would be arguing that the Brumbies. Yeah, the Brumbies are the best franchise in Australia in regards to the management of their team list and the planning ahead for the players that they're going to be letting go, the way that they want to be playing and whether or not they need to be bringing in new players to execute on that strategy. The Waratahs have had so much instability and um, poor roster management that we've just lost so many quality players in one go. And the fact that they're not communicating, like your little story there just demonstrates the poor communication is just... It's just really sad. And we love we love rugby and we love the Tars, but you just wish that they were able to manage their house better than they currently are. Yeah, definitely. There's another interesting bit of news that will that came out this week around the Western Force, and that is that they've asked Rugby Australia to be included in a equal share of the broadcast rights for 2021. So they want to be paid the same amount as all the other super rugby clubs for contributing in the super rugby AU next year. Now I don't inherently have an issue with that, that they, I mean, if they're going to be playing, then yes, they should be given the same amount of money. They shouldn't be given any less from rugby Australia for participation. But my issue comes then with the fact that the teams like the Reds and the Waratahs have lost players because they don't have the finances there to be able to sign or keep the, even keep their roster from last year. We've had so many players leave. Um, they don't have the they they don't have the money to to keep those players in on on the books, and so they've had to bring in other players overseas that just are questionable signings to begin with. Um, the Western Force have already they fall outside of the Super Rugby or Rugby Australia salary cap, so they've got all of these players that they've named, and they going to be like this world barbarian side next year it's not really fair then that they don't have to fall in under the salary cap and yet still get the same amount of money from rugby australia also and twiggy's backup money as well and then have this amazing squad and the waratahs have no one we're essentially going to be next year we're going to be looking at like a shoot shield barbarian side We've yeah, it's going to be a team full of We've lost rookies as well. yeah, with just incredible lack of experience. Um, although the good news is that we have had some good players come up from the Super Rugby AU this year. So having, obviously, Will Harris, um, having Jack Dempsey actually play in his preferred position of 15 will be... Sorry, Jack Maddox play in his preferred position of 15 will be really important. Dempsey has re-signed as well. Um, and he actually started looking good at the tail end of the Super AU season. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom but i am still very concerned um i think we should probably keep moving forward because i didn't mean to derail this conversation mm-hmm. to being just about the waratahs uh, so <laughs> there has been just a bit of news from tom decent today actually at the time of recording uh who's reporter tom decent reporter he was talking about um in the sydney morning herald the different options that nine are considering for the commentary gig And there are names being thrown around of Adam Ashley Cooper being one of the experts brought in. Sean Maloney is likely to be the main caller. Um, Drew Mitchell has also been considered. I think Matt Guido might be as well. Um, Hopefully, Nick. uh, they also mentioned Nick McArdle as well. The the interesting one I'd love to hear your thoughts about. Uh, Let me quote. While dual international Sonny Bill Bill Williams is also in discussions with the network for a cross-code commentary gig. Thoughts, Mitchell. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not big on Sonny Bill Williams as a as a commentator. Um, I like the sound of everyone else on that list, and uh, the other person that is on there as well or in the mix is Tim Horan. He looks to yep. be making the transition from Fox Sports into into Channel Nine or Stan. Um, yeah, but but Sonny Bill, look, I I've not really ever been impressed with his ability to to talk to the media after a game. He's a little bit like Israel. Um, there's a bit of a real post-match interview. He would basically just repeat what the question was so that ask the, the interviewer would say, so Falau, the, the boys looked a bit sort of slow at the beginning of the game. What, what were your thoughts or what was the reason behind that? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, the boys just didn't come out well today and they just looked we were just really slow. We just were slow to get into the game. So <laughs> I, I kind of feel like Stanley Bill's that, that similar type of player or, or person i'm not having any personal shot at him there but yeah i just the other names that they've listed like matt Giddo, drew mitchell adam ashley cooper they're very charismatic and outgoing personalities and i could see them being quite quite a bit of fun sitting together on the panel and, and joking with the players and throwing a few um barbs here and there and just making it sort of light-hearted and, and an upbeat but i don't really see sunny bill's kind of charisma yeah, I'd be agreeing with that. I think the, the the fascinating thing when you look at that, apart from Sonny Bill Williams, uh, they're, they're all white men. And I'd really be looking to change that up to <laughs> maybe have some Islander influence, maybe Morgan Tiranui doing some analysis or uh, even someone like Wadi Takiri with Tiranui coming on. He's Or uh, Will Genia, he's never shy of an opinion, although he's still playing over in so that's not really. Um, but also, why not bring Lou Ransom in? as well because you, you need to have a female presence like it's 2020 2021 you can't just have an all male code because women's rugby is growing so much there needs to be fair representation and this isn't me just going uh just saying there has to be women just for the sake of it but no there is such a growing market within women's rugby that i definitely believe that high quality uh Analysts and commentators like Lou Ransom really deserve a shot. And I'd be hoping that Nine would be creating opportunities and specifically looking for women to be involved as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. Someone like Lou Ransom that would be perfect to be that kind of host personality on the on the panel. Agreed. Well, mate, why don't we leave it there? That's all we kind of wanted to touch on with the news. And so we're going to head right now into Tri-Nations Game 5, New Zealand versus Argentina. Let's go. Let's go. All right, time to talk some rugby. So this weekend saw Game 5 of the Tri-Nations 2020 tournament. We had Argentina hosting New Zealand in Newcastle of all places, a bit of an unusual one, but that is what 2020 has brought up. So it was, I think, to be expected. Um, New Zealand were looking to bounce back to their kind of their well-known form, and they ran away with this game 38-0 against Argentina. Argentina managed to hang in there for the majority of the first half, being a 10-0 score at halftime. And I thought that their defense was quite good. Uh, but I think it just goes to show that three games on the trot for an Argentinian side who did have 10 changes was just going to be too much up against a firing New Zealand side who was out for redemption. So, Ando, um, what were your initial thoughts of this game? My initial thoughts were that I was looking at Jack Goodhue and I was looking at his well-groomed hair 
And I was thinking back to the beginning of New Zealand's woes at the beginning, at the beginning of this international season. And I realized at the start of this international season, Jack Goodhue had short hair as well. And so I thought, is New Zealand's somewhat poor, for, poor, for, poor performances over the last couple of months a reflection of the length of Jack Goodhue's hair? And so he's essentially the biblical Samson to the New Zealand rugby nation. So the longer his hair <laughs> is, the better New Zealand plays. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, I um, went back through, even through the Super Rugby Aotearoa competition, went back through all the team lineups and everything like that. And Jagudhu actually had had a haircut at the start of the Aotearoa competition and the Crusaders won it. So my theory doesn't check out. But seriously, I spent way too long looking in about Jack Goodhue's hair and his success. Is that why you were so quiet? <laughs> yeah, mate. I didn't I respond to you for a while. I think that answers the question. Yep. <laughs> I sent you a text at halftime and I don't think I heard back until after the game. I thought you must have fallen asleep. No, buddy. It was a long time of searching through Instagram feeds and uh, team lists and everything like that. Yeah, I, I legitimately spent way too long. <laughs> okay. right. Let's actually so get do you have any legitimate now. thoughts around the game other than... Jake Goodhue's Yeah, yeah, I totally hair. do. Um, so my general thought was um, New Zealand were competent in the way that they played. They, I, I mentioned this, I think, in last week's pod, but they were doing the basics well and not making a lot of the mistakes that they had been making previously, the unforced errors, the drop ball, the turnover ball, in partly as a result of better composure, from them as the All Blacks, but partly because Argentina were not exerting the same level of pressure and discipline that they had been able to demonstrate in the previous few weeks. So Argentina were, as a result, partly of the changes that they had made to their starting 15, a lot, a lot weaker. They were dropping the ball a lot more. Um, you very rarely see Sanchez just drop balls cold and miss players with his passes, but that was happening somewhat regularly. And when you look at the possession statistics in a territory, New Zealand had 71 possession throughout the game and 82% territory. You cannot hope to come close to New Zealand if they have those sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, the biggest, I was, I was actually surprised by the, the halftime scoreline. I was in, impressed with Argentina's defensive effort. There was a few, they kept the, the All Blacks out a number of times. Uh, Caleb Clark went over the sideline once or twice trying to score a try, and they, they were hammering the All Blacks, uh, the Argentinian line, for a good 10, 15 minutes without getting over. So initially I was impressed, and that was sort of um, standing up to the performances of the Argentinian teams we'd seen in the last two weeks. The biggest issue for me was that they just never seemed to be able to click in attack. So whenever they got the ball, they either dropped it, kicked it away, or just put it like lost it in a contest. For me, the player that sort of summed up Argentina's performance in this game was um, Filippo Escura at number nine. I don't recall seeing him play previously. I know he is the probably third or fourth string um, scrum half for Argentina and and it has been a big year for them. And unfortunately, they, they're not playing their, their best plays in their best positions. But he did not have a good game this week. There was a number of times where he was just throwing simple passes too far in front of the players. He, he, that, he was, for me, he was the reason that Sanchez was putting a lot of, of the ball down because from the base of the ruck, he was throwing it too far forward. So Sanchez had to actually take a step or two forward to catch the ball. 
um, and then got pounced immediately and just lost in the contest or he was passing back or he was passing too low so players couldn't catch it. And for me, he was kind of the reason they couldn't just get into a, any flow because they'd get one or two phases with the ball in hand and then they turn it over. Yeah, I agree. Um, he was really particularly weak. And the, so that that's part of it from like a backline possession play. But one of the things that Argentina really had been impressive with in the first two games was the accuracy of their set piece. And in this game, their scrum got dominated. It was, as I tweeted at some point, like 20 minutes into the first half, just boys versus men out there. So the return of Joe Moody and then the changing of the, of the majority of the front row. So you had the starting front row of Michael Vivas, uh, Julian Montoya, who's remained in there from the first two games. And then Santiago Santiago Medrano. Medrano got turned inside out by Joe Moody a number of times. He got pinged for angling in a couple of times by the referee, and then he had to try and stay straight but couldn't withstand the pressure that was coming through Moody's side of the scrum. So that just meant that Argentina weren't able to rely on having just clear set-piece attacking play, um, which every team needs as their bread and butter. And adding on top of that, um, one thing Nick Berry was doing was he was actually making sure that Argentina weren't closing the gap in a lineout. So it was something that we noticed last week. I'm not sure if we actually spoke about it in the pod last week because it was so short, but Argentina had been so successive, successful in disrupting New Zealand and Australian lineouts because what they would do is they, as soon as the ball would be released, they just step across and close the gap in the lineout to mean that they could more easily get up in front of our uh, jumper. And Nick Berry made sure that didn't happen this week. And Argentina, therefore, were less effective in disrupting and also securing their own ball. So their set piece was nowhere near as strong as it had been previously. Yeah, definitely. There was a few calls I thought that were a little harsh against Argentina. And I think that ended up being kind of the flow of the game, that everything was just going towards the All Blacks. And some of those 50-50 calls started going their way as well. Um, there was a few times that Sanchez was... Uh, not Sanchez, sorry. Um, Matera was over the ball and had a clean steal and he was penalized for not releasing or for for coming in from the side and he had clearly he'd won the, the jackal so i thought that was a bit harsh against them but yeah they just never really looked like getting into the motion of scoring any points um and they just they never really had any opportunity to i would say that the scoreline flatters the all blacks a fair bit that first half they weren't as good as the scoreline suggests um but yeah, the I think the second half we saw what was I think what everyone was kind of expecting from Argentina for the last two weeks that it just got too much for them. It was a new team. They had they hadn't played a whole lot of rugby together. They they were tired. A lot of their best sort of players the starting side. And the players that weren't that were there, so Sanchez and Matera, um, and Kremer, they were coming off quite early in sort of 60, 65th minute with it looked sort of soft tissue sort of strains, not not pulls or or major issues, but they were just kind of twings that they were coming off. So I just think it it's starting to show the wear and tear of this rough competition with four weeks of back-to-back rugby against some of the top nations in the world. Agreed. And that was always going to be the worry. And you saw a few kind of South African supporters come out of the woodworks after this match, 
to speak of the fact that maybe the South Africans were right, that now that it's getting to the third or fourth game, the differences in conditioning are coming home to roost. And I, I do think that has an element of truth into it. I just question whether or not it was the right idea by the Argentinians set up to um, to make the wholesale changes that they did. Maybe they could have, instead of making 10 changes at the starting team, um, made less but made earlier changes or had a set number of changes between game one and two, then two and three. So it's not just this turnover by the time they get to this match. Because what we saw out on the field was a disjointed Argentine who did defend well for long periods of the game. Um, I, I agree with your point that the scoreline wasn't reflective. I mean, Will Jordan's two tries at the end. Yeah, well, well done to Will Jordan for coming on. But they were just pretty opportunistic against broken field play against an exhausted Argentinian team who were chasing the game. Yep. So like, that's 14 points right there that you can... I'm not saying you take them away, but 14 points which aren't really a reflection of the combative nature of the Argentinian defence. Or even 21, if you look at the last try. Yeah, yeah, good well. point. They yeah, scored two, two six minutes after full time. Yeah. I mean, Argentina, they caused that try. They started that little niggle shortly after um, they got a penalty and it got reversed. And they sort of had a bit of niggle with the players and it got a bit heated. And Argentina, uh, New Zealand just turned around and said, all right, well, we're going to put a try on you now. We're not going to kick the ball out and, and, and win with a... 20 something gap we're going to score another try so that was kind of their own fault <laughs> um were there any new zealand players that particularly impressed you in this game um i mean will jordan was good when he came on there's been a lot of talk in subsequent days and hours after the game that you know has will jordan played himself into a starting spot next year and i would say you'd be completely wrong to think that i mean he came on and scored two very opportunistic tries and good for him for doing that. But I don't think he's shown to be a better winger than Caleb Clark at test level yet. Um, and that's what people are saying, that Caleb Clark needs to be worried that he might be losing his starting spot next year because of this strong performance from Will Jordan. So I, I, I don't necessarily think he was amazing, but he was he was good and he did what he needed to do right. Um, outside of that, yeah, Richie Mwanga missed a few um, kicks early on that I was a bit surprised at. But apart from that, yeah, no one really stood out to me. Yeah, I was I was particularly impressed with Scott Barrett. So I um, enjoyed the fact that he got yellow carded the in the previous game or the game against Argentina. Australia. Did he get yellow carded against Australia? Yeah, it was when he tapped the ball out of Nick White's hand. Um, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. was very impressed with his work rate slash work ethic. He was very dominant in defensive collisions and when he had the ball, chucking it up, and he was making meters in the tackle, which is always desirable kind of in a tight five. Um, the other player who I was keeping an eye on because I wanted to see how he actually played throughout the game was Akira Iwani. And he didn't have many outstanding moments, but what I actually thought he did was he didn't play a flashy game, but that actually enabled Adi Sevilla to have more impact. And he, Adi Sevilla was an absolute beast later on in the match. His strength and ability to fight through the tackle was seriously impressive and resulted in some excellent attacking opportunities close to the Argentinian line for New Zealand. So Sevilla was just super, super impressive. Um, obviously, he got his try in the 52nd minute as well. So well done. I think they might have found their back row now with Sevilla, um, yep. with Akira Iwani and Sam Kane. I think that's a really well-balanced front uh, yeah, back row. Definitely. Sam Kane is just an absolute machine. 
and also has upped his um, his jackling efforts as well. And then you have both Yuani and Sevilla, who are just dynamic, hard-edged players who are both strong on the offensive and a defensive side of things. It's a great back row. Yeah, one other player that I was actually surprised with, and it's just bringing it back as you were talking, was Aaron Smith. Um, for not not just for his performance, but actually the way that he handled himself and his interaction with the referee. So we've been seen TJ Perinari get some game time in the last few weeks. And one of the things that we noticed, particularly in Bledisloe 4, was that he lost his cool a lot. And he was he just Nick White just got under his skin and he was taking it out on the referee. He was taking it out on plays. He was just all over the place. And in this game, there was a few instances where there was calls against New Zealand and, and Aaron Smith was right there. And he kind of just copped it on the chin and said, yep, that's fine. Dropped the ball and ran off. Where TJ Perinaro has this kind of attitude to, uh, around, about him that like oh no you've made the wrong call are you serious like come on man and like stares down the referee i i was quite appreciative of aaron smith's approach um i think and they get to sh- that that's more in line with the all blacks that should be aaron smith's approach of yep yeah, right we've done the wrong thing that's fine he's a classy player and the... kind of schoolboy antics yeah, I was just going to say, mate, sorry for cutting you off there. He's just such a classy player. And you just see the difference between him and everybody else. So Perinara and Brad Webber are excellent at super rugby level. They really are. But when you take it up that notch and you just need the precision and the execution at every single aspect of the game, Aaron Smith is head and shoulders above the rest of them. Um, so I think that's just a an interesting point. It's not inherently a weakness that he's so good, but it's just fascinating to know that there is such daylight between him and anybody else. And that's just going to be a little bit worrying if he goes down injured, um, who comes on to replace him. The thing that I love about him is just the speed of the speed of his arrival at the ruck and then how quickly he can get the ball away at pace. And now that is not a surprising thing to say about a scrum half, but he's just the master of it. He, When he needs to, he can up the pace and the ante of the game like almost nobody else in world rugby. Definitely. Well said. Well, mate, why don't we jump ahead now to next week's match? Did you have anything else you wanted to say around this game? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy for cool. us to jump ahead, mate. So um, why don't you take us through the kind of introduction about next week's game? All right. So next week we see Australia hosting Argentina at Bankwest in Sydney for the last game of the Tri-Nations tournament for 2020. Now, unfortunately, it seems after New Zealand's result this weekend with their bonus point win, they are now on 11 points. It would take anything but a miracle for Australia or Argentina to take to beat um, New Zealand. Argentina would need to win with a scoreline of 98 and Australia would need to win with a scoreline of 101 to get a better for and against and a bonus point to, to take out the, the Tri-Nations tournament. So well done to New Zealand. They've, they're basically wrapped up the Tri-Nations for this year. But that doesn't take anything away from this game. This is going to be a massive clash because both sides want to finish their campaign and their their season on a high note. I think for me personally, looking at the changes that Ledesma made for this weekend against, Argent- uh, against New Zealand with the 10 changes he made to his starting side, I think he's really looking to this to this game to upset the Wallabies and to, to get that, that scalp and that victory. Um, and if they can get second in this Tri-Nation series, I think they'll see that as a win. 
I would agree. Um, that's got to be Argentina's goal. Yeah, that's got to be Argentina's goal at this point. Yeah. And I obviously you want that for Australia as well. Um, the expectation for Australia has to be that they're going to win. And you've seen a players obviously come out and say that. It's no big surprise. But we need just for the rugby supporters to have this element of positivity going into the break. Um, there have been some really positive moments throughout this campaign. Um, beating New Zealand was fantastic. Drawing to Argentina was in some ways... Like we 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 should have got that win, but that was a fired up and quality Argentina yeah. side. So and and we've blooded so many new players and new combinations, especially if you consider that both James O'Connor and Matt Tamua have basically been gone for the entire Tri Nation series. The, our two most experienced backline play, playmakers have been gone, and we've had to have a makeshift uh, midfield. When you consider that. There is some element of, I'm not sure if pride is the right word, but there are some positives that we can be taking from this. Uh, the, the big question is who is going to be back ready? I haven't heard anything about James O'Connor. Lukan Sarkailoto is meant to be available. So that'll be interesting to see the lock and bench combinations, whether he comes straight back into the starting lineup or not. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Mitch, on what you might be changing about the lineup of the Aussie team for this final match? Yeah, I, I have heard and read that James O'Connor is ready and he's fit. He was potentially ready last weekend and they just wanted to give him a little bit more time. So I would be very surprised if he, he isn't starting at 10. Um, yeah. So for me, he, he needs to be starting at 10. Um, I don't think you, you bring on Salakai Loto to start. I think you take him off the bench just because of the injury and the concern. I mean, this is the last game of the year, but in saying that you don't want to redo an injury, he's come back very quickly for this, the level of injury that he sustained. So you don't want him to come on and then injure it and then be off for six, six to 12 months. Yeah, agreed. He's, it's just, I just wonder if you do actually bring James O'Connor back because this is some, I actually, you know what? James O'Connor is playing at the Reds. He'll have played a lot with Pattaya and Paisami anyway. So there are natural combinations there. Um, do you think you're going to see any new faces, any experimentation with some of the younger players or the less experienced players in a squad that Rennie might call in? I don't think so. I think Rennie needs as a coach, as the coach of the Wallabies, he needs to win this test. This is the perfect opportunity for him to get that back line settled. We've seen a lot of changes in this Tri-Nations tournament due to injuries and players needing to play out of position. I think we haven't actually seen James O'Connor play with the likes of uh, Persami at 13, um, like long-term. So, so like some of those backline positions, I, I think this would be a perfect opportunity for them, those guys to stay in their positions with James O'Connor, who will you would think would be our starting 10 next year um, to, to take that position, to just try and see if they can settle things down a bit, get a little bit better flow of the ball out to those players like Dungunu and, and Pattaya to give them a little bit more game time, a little bit more awareness, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I do think that you bring James O'Connor in. Reese Hodge has been a good stopgap at the moment, but he's, we saw in the last test that it start, the sort of wheels started to fall off a little bit. We weren't able to generate that game line momentum. We weren't able to get over and through the Argentinians' defensive line, and we kind of just kept doing the same thing over and over again. So I think James O'Connor will be able to, to step in, take the reins of that back line and just drive it around a little better than Reese Hodge would. Um, but in saying that, I don't think Reese Hodge deserves to be out of the 15 altogether. I would be putting him at fullback. 
Yeah. Okay. I would. So yeah. Okay. I can see that. And I think what, what he, what we said he brings about long range penalty King touch finders still applies. And that's actually what I've been calling as well, that Hodge's best position is 15 and that he needs to be at this point in time on the field for Australia. Plus I don't think, I really just don't think we've seen enough from banks for him to warrant keeping 15 yet. He hasn't been inherently bad, but he just also hasn't been particularly impressive either. Yeah. So I would be happy if O'Connor is back for him to step into 10 and then Hodge to go to 15. Definitely. And what do you do for the forward pack? Uh, I'd probably keep it as is. Um, probably if Salakai Loto has passed all the fitness tests and is fine to go, then I'd be taking Rob Simmons, put him on to the bench. Okay. Um, actually, let me just think. Salakai Loto definitely um, starting with Philip. Uh, I'd consider putting Hosea on the bench just for the experience point of um but you're gonna have hannigan at six anyway you're going to have wilson at eight you're gonna have hooper at seven yeah um you probably just want a standalone um lock on the bench so i'd be interested in putting Hosea on there um but if you're just going for all out we have to win this game then you've got to keep simmons just for that um that experience and you know what he's going to bring even if it's not flash he's going to do a job for you uh the one thing that i would be saying is basically make sure alatoa is starting and tupo is the impact sub we saw what happened to him in the last game where he just got fired up and subbed at half time um it negates his effectiveness Put him on after the break and that's when he's going to run right. Sure, make it a 50th minute or 45th minute change. Um, I don't mind. Bring bring him on early in the second half. But his best role at this point in time is as that impact sub um, when he's running against tired shoulders and tired defense who aren't able to front up to him as effectively. Yeah, I've, I've said that all year. I've said that all year. I think that's the best position for him or the best, yeah, that, that bench player because he's probably on par with Alatoa as a, in getting us scrum penalties. Uh, but in some ways he actually gives away more penalties than he gets at the moment. And that through not necessarily, not always through um, collapsing at the scrum, but also just through a bit of niggle um, and, and late hits or, or big hits and that kind of thing. He, he kind of, he's that player that wants to make an impact. So I think that it's, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Let Alatoa start, let him get a good set of good, grounding for him and then bring on Tupo to just run at home. Yep. Agreed. Well, I'm glad we're on the same point there. Um, the other thing I'm pretty interested in is whether or not Argentina are going to continue to rotate through their squad um, or whether or not they're going to try and get things back to the full starting team that we saw in games one and two. Uh, I am imagining it'll be the latter that they'll have the full strength team um but i'm not aware of any major injury concerns that came out of the game um sanchez seemed or a leg injury late in the game so i'm assuming he'll be fighting about that uh, how do you think the argentinians will face up yeah I, I think that they're they're viewing this as their do or die clash in this tournament so i would be surprised if we don't see their their full squad their full best team playing they're going to want to win this game that, I mean, if they can walk away from this tournament saying that they've beaten Australia and New Zealand in this, in the same competition, then like, that's crazy. They've never done that in one year before. So yeah, I think this is really the, their final to run. 
Um, and they will be, I would say that they've been naming their best squad. Cool. Well, why don't we then shift across to the what we're hoping to see from the Australian team from a style of play or execution point of view. What are you wanting the Wallabies to do? I just want to see them have a little bit more surety around things to know what they're doing and, and be, be behind it. They have a game plan and to stick to it. So I think in the last Argentina game, they, they kept sort of trying to, they kept running the ball, trying to break the, the defensive line. They, Michael Hooper kept taking the, sh- the penalties to, to the line out to try and get some, get a try, but it just wasn't working. I think, I would like to see them not panic and sort of stick to their structures a little bit more. If they're making, they, they sort of tended in the end of the game, they tended to sort of throw passes that weren't on and just keep the ball alive a little bit too much. Just take the, take the tackle, go to ground, recycle the ball, and then just keep, just keep it ticking over. Keep that uh, momentum going. They also started to panic at the end of the game and that last sort of five or six minutes, they just sort of kicked away aimlessly. So I would like to see them be a little bit more sure around themselves. Maybe that comes from the leaders need to stand up and just control things a little bit better. I'm not too sure. But yeah, I just want them to be a little bit more settled, a little bit more um, know what they're doing and what they, they want to do and, and to have a game plan. Agreed. My my thing is composure, which kind of fits in with what you're saying. So the, my biggest frustration with the 16-all draw against Argentina was the fact that we had the chances to win it late in the game. And I don't blame Hodge for missing the kick. That happens. But the fact that we then kicked away the ball three times in the final couple of minutes was, in my mind, inexcusable. And that is the part that frustrates me is that we're, we're putting ourselves in positions to win matches or, yeah, to win matches, but then poor decision-making by individuals is letting us down. So that is the area that I want to see improve. That like you said, that there is this understanding of this is how we're going to play and this is what we're going to do in certain situations. But then individuals play to that script. That doesn't mean they're robots, but they understand. If the game is tied with two minutes to go and we have the ball, why don't we keep it rather than kicking it away? Like it's not it's not rocket science. But for some reason, it seems to be rocket, rocket science with some of our players. So that's what that's what I'm hoping for. I want an entertaining game. I want composure and I want a clear game plan because those three things, particularly the last two, the composure and the game plan have not always been something Australian teams have been renowned for over the last couple of years. Um, Or at least if we are known for a game plan, which is attack from anywhere in the field, the game plan sucks. So I want it to be different and I want it to be. Um, that's that's what I'm hoping for. So why don't we shift now to our predictions for the match? Um, my prediction last week, by the way, for Argentina All Blacks was that um, All Blacks win by five. So at least I got the fact that All Blacks would win, correct? What did you, can you remember what you predicted? I said a draw. Oh, so I am somewhat right, but so far away that it doesn't really count. That's right. Um, <laughs> so what's your prediction for this week, mate? I want to say that the Wallabies are going to do this easily and come away with like a 10, 15 um, scoreline. I don't think they will though. I think this will probably be tight. It'll go down to the wire again. I'm probably going to say Australia by three. Yeah, cool. I'm going to go Australia by 10. Um, I think I'm just really hoping and confident for, for a good performance and the Argentinians are tired, exhausted and don't have the match fitness that our players have had over the full super rugby season. So I'm expecting us to be winning somewhat comfortably. Um, hopefully I haven't just jinxed us now. I mean, I hope so. I mean, I'm going out to the game, so I'm, I'm really hoping for a, for a good one to end the, the year on a high. 
Good, mate. Good. Well, you can give us a report of how the game, what the match day experience was like. I'm sure it will be glowing and positive in every aspect of uh, rugby viewership like it has been so far this year. So why don't we finish this pod there? Is there anything you want to wrap up with, Mitch? No, I think that's everything. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for joining us so far. Um, we've had some good some good numbers the last few weeks. So, yeah, definitely keep keep spreading the word of the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast. Tell your friends. Get them to listen. It's been good. It's been great. So thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day and we will see you next time. Bye.